take our Bibles tonight. We'll go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And um, as we are looking at this, this series of really just kind of questions, common questions or maybe some uncommon questions that people have had or things that you've just wondered about biblically, uh, we're... Uh, we, we've dealt with, obviously, some of the issues of kind of the uh, modern charismatic movement in uh, prophecy and speaking in tongues, the sign gifts and things of that nature. And tonight, really, maybe you could consider as a bit of a continuation of that. This is actually uh, an answer to a specific question uh, that I've received from a couple different sources, believe it or not. And that is, what does the Bible say about ladies wearing head coverings. And I know that that's something we don't talk about a lot. And as Baptists, we don't necessarily see that a whole lot. But it is something that people have questions about. There are entire uh, denominations and religions out there that are very, uh, that very firmly and very adamantly believe that biblically, uh, women are to wear head coverings, particularly in church or uh, in, uh, during prayer time and things of that nature. But what does the Bible say about this issue? And so we're going to go to that passage of Scripture that is uh, often uh, maybe a little bit controversial and just see what the Bible says. If you're able to stand, I'll invite you to do that. If you're not able to, you're welcome to remain seated, of course. Uh, verse number 3 is where we're going to begin. The Bible says here, But I would have you know... That the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all as, uh, forgive me, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a, a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head. And here's an interesting phrase, because of the angels. We'll get to that, Lord willing, tonight. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely... That a woman pray unto God uncovered. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if a man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. So the question is, and the question that often 
arises then is, well, it, it seems pretty clear if you just read this verse or the, these verses of Scripture that when a woman prays or speaks within a church that she is to have a covering on her head. I mean, it specifically says that in verse number 5, right? But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. So, so he's saying, well, you know, a woman, when she prays or she's prophesying, she's speaking within a church, she's to be covered. She's to have a covering on her head. And so a lot of people take that and say, well, this is very plain then. It's very obvious, right? Uh, a woman needs to either be wearing a hat or some kind of a, 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 a veil or some kind of a cloth or something on her head because the Bible says so. And we're going to get to some of the specifics about that in just a moment. But I, I, I do want to just kind of back up and... Uh, clarify something that we, we all need to be reminded of at times. And that is this. When the Bible uh, gives us a specific, we could call it an ordinance, or a commandment, uh, or a statute, uh, God is concerned not only with adherence to that particular command, but he's concerned with the heart attitude behind it. Would you agree with that? And so, oftentimes, when we look at commandments in Scripture, there is a, a command that, ha that is attached to a, 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 an action, an outward performance of that thing, but God is not only looking for the outward performance of that thing. He is looking for our heart behind that. So, for instance, we could talk about the issue of tithing and giving. And I could ask you, is God interested in your giving? Well, yes, he is. But the Bible specifically tells us that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Right? He wants us to give out of a heart of, of joy and gratitude toward Him. It's not just something that we do out of duty. Okay, this is something I have to check off of the list. I have to do this thing. Actually, our giving is, is uh, simply an outflow of our heart of love for God. And 2 Corinthians clarifies that, right? That in our giving, we prove the sincerity of our love. And so often, when we look at, we, we, could, we could take a look at specific commands in Scripture and see that there's actually a, a principle behind it that God is trying to drive home in our lives. And there's a danger in becoming too focused on the outward appearance of adherence to that principle and missing the whole point to begin with. I mean, was this not the issue that the Pharisees had? Let's go back to the book of Matthew in chapter 22. Uh, Matthew 23, rather. Matthew 23. And this is exactly what Jesus said of the Pharisees, that their problem was that they were adhering to these specific commandments, but they were missing the principle that God was really most interested in. So Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 25, look what it says. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Now, if you were to invite me to come over to your house for a meal, I really love steak and pecan pie. Just put that out there, all right? If you were to invite me over to your house for a meal, and I arrived and you said, you know, uh, I apologize, it's been a busy day, I've been slaving away preparing this meal, uh, but, but all my dishes are dirty, and uh, I need to get these cleaned real quick before we can eat. And so as uh, you go ahead and get started washing those dishes, and I'm standing there, and, and uh, we're talking a little bit, and all of a sudden you, you, I'm watching you wash these dishes, and you're literally taking the cups out of the sink, and you're wiping off the outside and setting it aside. And you're taking the bowls, and you're wiping out the outside, but the inside still has a bunch of food in it that someone else ate. Uh, I'm going to lose my appetite pretty quickly, because I'm not only concerned with the outside of that thing. There's a story. My wife and I were... um, eating with a family one time, and at the end of the meal, uh, the wife starts taking the plates off of the table and having the dog lick the plates. She said, this is how we clean them to get them in the dishwasher. I thought, man, I'm glad she did that after the meal, because I wouldn't have had the appetite to eat the meal if I would have seen that before, right? So, anyway, I would lose my appetite because I'm not only interested in the outside being clean, the inside is what really matters more than anything. Then Jesus says in verse number 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and of all Uncleanness. In other words, you, you, you look good on the outside, but your heart is not right with God. And because your heart's not right with God, God is not pleased with you. And we need to be very careful that in the things that we do, that we are not only focused on that which is external and outward, but that our concern is really where it starts, in the heart. And this issue that we're looking at tonight is no different, and I'll show you that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to go back to the book of Deuteronomy, because I want to show you another issue that is kind of related and kind of linked to this one, and show you how it would be easy for us to get so focused on just the external and miss the whole point and the whole purpose. Deuteronomy chapter 22, and this is another area that is very controversial, and I think if we're not careful on both sides of this issue, you are so focused on the external that you miss the whole point. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse number 5, here's what it says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, 
there are two, two sides of this issue within Bible-believing churches, right? Where one side says, well, see, it's very clear. Uh, men and women's clothing are to be distinct. They're to be different. And men need to look like men, and women need to look like women. And sometimes people take it to such an extreme that they look at the clothing on the outside... And they judge, they make a judgment about that individual's spiritual condition based upon what they're wearing or not wearing. And they think, oh, this person is dressed this way, that must mean that they're carnal. Or, that person is dressed this way, and that must mean that they are spiritual. And let me just tell you, if you're judging based on outward appearance, you're missing the point. We do not judge based on outward appearance. The other side of that, though, and the other side of the issue comes to the point sometimes of saying, well, see, that is Old Testament, and it was for Israel. It doesn't apply to us today. And so they almost take and just cut that verse out of the Bible and throw it out altogether. And, folks, I believe that God's desire for us would be to understand not just the commandment that he gave to Israel, but to dig into that and consider what is it that God is trying to communicate to his people in this commandment. Now, let me say this also. Think about this. Is this statement, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. Is that an, an absolute, in, in God's economy, is that an absolute condemnation of any woman who wears, for any reason, clothing that a man would wear? For instance, uh, maybe some of you wives at home uh, are, I don't know, cleaning the house one day and you throw on one of your husband's t-shirts to do that. Is God going to be angry with you? Is he going to come down on you? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's the whole point. The point of this is what? I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. God doesn't want cross-dressing. By the way... 30, 40 years ago, discussing this issue in churches... A lot of people never dreamed that we would be where we are today with the confusion of the difference between men and women. But here we are. So what is the point of this verse of Scripture? Well, the whole point, listen to this. The whole point is this. God made men and women different. And there is to be a distinction between men and women. And, by the way, especially in these days, their clothing differed not only in style, but in design because of the difference of roles. Men and women had different functions in life and therefore their clothing was nothing not even similar because women were keepers at home and men went out in the field and worked and they went out to battle and these types of things and so their clothing was distinct and different 
Not just because, oh, you're a man and you're a woman, but because you are distinct and different even in your very roles. And so what has happened? Now, here we are today, and there's a lot of debate about men looking like women and acting like women and women looking and acting like men and assuming that identity for themselves. And there's a lot of confusion about that. But, but I, would, I would almost back up. Beyond this whole transgenderism movement and ask Christians over the last 30, 40, 50 years, what difference is there between men and women? I mean, in in reality, in practice, is there a difference? Or do we treat everyone exactly the same? You can do the same things. You can be the same thing. After all, we're, you know... Listen, we're not the same. Men and women are not the same. And God didn't make us to be the same. And so the issue is not just about clothing. The issue is about uh, blurring the lines of something that God has clearly delineated. And I believe that God's will and purpose, not only for Old Testament Israel, but even for New Testament Christians, is to be distinct in the way that God has made us. And I will tell you this. I will not apologize for encouraging my boys to be men and to be manly and to be masculine. And regardless of what the society says, that is not toxic. That is right. And I will not apologize for encouraging my wife and my daughter to be feminine. Because that is right. It's how God has created us different and distinct with different goals and different roles and different purposes. And our lives ought to show forth that purpose that God has created us for. And so clothing is one of those issues. We've got to be careful Not to make it just about the garment. And by the way, let me say this also. When a church or when a pastor tries to call God's people to standards of modesty and gender distinction, that's not just about the garment. It's about the heart behind it. It's about the heart behind it. And on this issue of clothing, and this does relate, by the way, to this issue of head coverings. On this issue of clothing, let me say this. You will answer to God for what you do in your life and in your home. Now, I'll give account to God for the things that go on within the church and and how we operate here. And so there are certain things that I would ask and expect, but you answer to God for your life and for your home. So let me just encourage you, when you go to put on a piece of clothing, stand in front of the mirror and ask yourself this, is this what God would have me to wear today? And if you can, in a clear conscience before God, say, I believe by faith, because whatsoever is not of faith is sin, I believe by faith that this is what God has led me to do. Not to draw attention to myself 
or my flesh or my body, but to be an, an image bearer of God in the way that he's created me, this is what God wants me to wear. If you can do that, then you and I will have no problems. It's between you and God. So on this issue of clothing, it's not just about outward appearance. It's about a heart issue. And so let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11, and I want to show you this. The whole point of everything I just said there was to say this. Even the covering issue is not about a piece of cloth that a woman would wear on her head. It's not about a piece of cloth that you would wear on your head. It's not like you take this piece of cloth and you put it over your head and now God's pleased with you and the second you take it off, he's not. That, 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 that doesn't even make any sense. And so while some people have tried to make this just about a hat or a piece of cloth that someone would wear on their head, there is more to the issue. And it starts in verse number 3, and this is why we read verse number 3, because before he goes into the issue of head coverings, he explains the reasoning. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, he says this, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So he lays out this order. He says there's God the Father and there's God the Son. And by the way, though those two are equal, there is a difference in authority. And the Son submits Himself to His Heavenly Father. And then there is the man. And man is not equal to Christ. But the head of every man is Christ. And then it says this, and the head of every woman is the man. Another example of two people equally created, but a difference in authority structure, in authority position. And so he introduces this to then go on and explain the issue of the head covering. We come down to verse number 9, and it says this, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have, and notice the word power. That word power literally means authority. It's where what Jesus said in Matthew 28, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore power. It is, it's, the woman is to have power on her head. She's to have authority on her head because of the angels. And so God says that there is to be a clear, visible difference, even in authority, between a man and a woman. Now, my understanding from things that I've read is that in these days, it was customary for women in the presence of men as a sign of submission to cover their head. And they would only take that covering off of their head in the presence of other women or when they were alone, but not in the presence of men. Certainly, not, you would not go before a man, for instance, ladies, and begin speaking and giving him a piece of your mind without a covering on your head. You would come with this symbol, an outward visible symbol of submission, to authority. 
And so, this idea of praying or prophesying uncovered really had more to do with a bold statement of defiance against authority. In other words, to say, I am on an equal plane with the man and there is no difference in authority. And by the way, again, this is happening not only in first century Corinth, but in 21st century America, there is a whole movement of female preachers and and, and teachers, I'm just telling you, God said there's a difference. There's a difference. And so this, uh, Paul goes on to explain, and he, he says, that, you know, to, to do that, to, to, to uncover your head, would be a symbol of defiance against authority, or to make no difference between a man and a woman. And that's why it even says in verse 6, if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her head be covered. In other words, you might as well cut your hair to look like a man. Because you're making no difference between men and women. That's what he's saying. And there is a difference. Hold your place here and go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. By the way, I'm wondering how much we should be putting this out on Facebook. Because I don't know how much hate mail I want to receive here in the coming days. But... Um, that's all right. First Timothy chapter 2. Look what it says here. Verse number 11. It says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And so this, this whole concept, he, he says, women are not to teach men. Why? Well, he goes back to the issue of creation and the fall. And he says that Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. Adam willfully chose to sin, but the woman who was in the transgression, who was the first to actually partake of the fruit, she was deceived. And 1 Corinthians 11 talks about creation order, that the man was made first, and was made uh, that the woman was made for the man, and this may seem, if you're not careful, as though God is saying that women are somehow inferior to men. That's not at all what it's saying, but I want you to think about this. Who was the first one of the two, between Adam and Eve, who was the first one to take a bite of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat? Who was it? Kenton? You raised your hand. No, he doesn't want to answer. Who was it? It was Eve. Who was held responsible for that sin? Adam. Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world. So even though Eve was the first one to partake of the fruit, Adam was the one who was held accountable for it. Adam was the one who had received the commandment. He was supposed to lead his wife. And she was deceived, partially, I think, because Adam didn't do what he was really supposed to do in, in informing his wife of what exactly God had instructed. Because if you remember, she didn't understand the commandment. God said, if we even touch it, we're going to die, right? 
Adam probably just said that because he thought, you know, stay away from it. Don't even touch it. Either way, he was the one who was held accountable for that. God has made an authority structure between men and women. And when it comes to the home, and when it comes to the church, God said women are to be under authority. They need to have power on their head. They need to be in submission. Now, you, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. What does that say? Does that mean, ladies, that you, from now on, this is, this is now a rule at Mount Zion Baptist Church, you have to wear a head covering when you come in these doors. All right? Effective Sunday. No. Because he gives the answer to that as well. If you look at verse number 15, it says, But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So you don't have to add to that. The Bible says God gave you, ladies, your hair as a covering. In other words, he gave you a distinct physical characteristic that identifies you as a woman. And this is, please, by the way, listen, this is pleasing to the Lord when you adorn yourself in a feminine way because it is symbolic of how he has created you. And so, in other words, don't, don't come into the assembly Dress like a man, acting like a man, usurping authority over the man, and expect that God's going to be pleased with you. You're to be under authority. Again, not, not inferior, but different, distinct. Now, that's the answer. It's about submission. It's about authority, and God has already solved the issue he gave you a built-in head covering with your hair. But now that brings us really to this question. What in the world does it mean when it says, verse number 10, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. What does that mean? Does anyone know? I'd like to know. Nobody knows? All right, let's go home. No, it's a... Um, it's a debated issue, and you could, you could really, uh, if you just go looking in commentaries and different things, you'll find a lot of different answers to that. But let me show you what I believe God's intention is in putting these words in Scripture because of the angels. We're going to look at four verses of Scripture, and then we'll be done. All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So we're in 1 Corinthians 11. Let's go to chapter 4. I want you to notice verse number 9. It says here, For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Now, <clears throat> there, there are several places in Scripture that indicate that the angels are observing us, the saints. 
and are watching us. So one would be where we read in 1 Corinthians 11 that women are to have power on their heads or they're to have a covering because of the angels. And here, notice he says as far as the apostles, we're made a spectacle to the world. The world's watching us. And, and to men, I think that's a reference to the saints, to save people. Uh, you, you all are watching us. But even the angels are observing. And they're watching. Now we think about God watching us. We think about other Christians viewing us. We think about our testimony to the world. But how frequently do we actually stop and think, I wonder what the angels think of this. Think about this for a moment. The angels, when we talk about angelic beings in heaven, God's angels, not those who followed after Lucifer in the fall, but God's angels have never sinned. And they really don't, they're, 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 not, they're not made in the image of God like we are. And so to some degree, they don't seem to have the same free will that we have. Though they have some ability to make a decision, apparently, because some followed after Lucifer. But basically, their role, their lot in life is to worship God, serve God, and do, they're, they're his ministering spirits, Hebrews calls them. And here they look at us who are created in the image of God, yet fallen by nature because of our sin nature, and now we have been redeemed unto God, and we have something that they don't have and they'll never have, and yet they watch us and probably wonder at times, don't you think, what are those crazy humans doing? What are they thinking? And so you, you've got this example of... of Angels actually observing us. 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to show you this as well. Not only are they observing us, but it seems that angels themselves are curious as to our free will and our relationship to God, our salvation. It says in verse number 12, Unto whom was it revealed? that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So it's not just that angels are observing what we do, but they actually have some kind of a, an interest in th this relationship that we have with God and the affairs of, of mankind and, and how we are now the children of God by faith. And, you know, the, the angels are not children of God, but we are. We're joint heirs with Christ. And so the Bible says here in First Peter that not only are the angels observing, we're a spectacle, but that they desire to look into our salvation. They, they, there's something that intrigues them. They, they think, man, I, I don't know if they're desiring to have what we have or if they're just trying to understand it, but they desire to look into these things. And so, what is our responsibility to them? You say, our responsibility to the angels? Well, yeah, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. As these angelic beings are watching us 
observing us, wondering to some degree how it is that we are children of God by faith, that we've been saved. You know, angels can't sing, saved, I'm saved, through Christ my all in all. They, can't, they, they, they look into these things, they're curious about them, and here's what it says in Ephesians 3, in verse number 10. To the intent now, or to the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, I don't know that I can fully wrap my mind around it, but it seems to be an indication that there are actually things that we are teaching angels. There are things about God that the angels learn from us. How is that possible? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because we're created in the image of God. Maybe it's because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. All I know is it says that part of God's purpose in, in, in this uh, fellowship of the mystery that, uh, of Christ and, and His salvation is that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might know the manifold wisdom of God by the church. And as strange as that may seem to us, I want you to think about this in context of 1 Corinthians 11. We know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And oh, by the way, what is the one issue over which angels have fallen? Well, it's the issue of authority, isn't it? I will be like the Most High, Lucifer said. It was the issue of authority. And now the principalities and powers in heavenly places that apparently are observing us, we are a spectacle unto them, and they desire to look into the things that we have, are observing not only our salvation, our relationship with God, but even the function within a church. And to, a, to an extent, would, would, would we be doing any damage to Scripture to say it would be confusing to the angels for people who claim to be children of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit acting out of order in authority. This is, in other words, this is God's design. And the woman is to be in submission, subjection to the man. Yes, even because of the angels. And while I don't claim to understand and know all of that, I, I, I want to just kind of come back here and, and consider this. This is... a about more than just a piece of clothing. It's about the order of authority that both within the church and within the home, we are all subject to the authority that God has placed in our lives. And it is a testimony to others around us, not even just within the church or within the world, but even those in heavenly places, it is a testimony of what is actually going on in our hearts. The 
big issue with clothing and attire is not only the issue of modesty and gender distinction, it's an issue of the heart that says, Lord, I want to do what is pleasing in your sight, and I want to fulfill the role that you have given to me in every area. And so when we consider this issue, hopefully to those that have had questions about this, what does the Bible say about head coverings? Well, we could make it very simple and say, ladies, you have long hair as a covering. But let me, let me just make some application to that and say it's more than just about your hair. It's about your heart. And not just a lady's heart, but a man's heart as well. We are to be in submission to God's plan and purpose, and we are to function as a church and as families in the order with which he has given us to function. 